Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. I'm glad you joined us for today's podcast. We're going through a special series called Simply by Grace, the book. When I wrote Simply by Grace, I never dreamed it would have such an impact and be translated into a dozen languages with more in the works. It's published in English by Kriegel, and you can get the book at our website, gracelife.org, or on Amazon, or wherever you buy your paperback or digital books. Like a lot of folks, you might want to buy a bunch and hand them out to people who need a better understanding of God's amazing grace. Grace Life ministers around the United States and the world sharing the gospel of grace with unbelievers and the grace of the gospel with believers. Our ministry is supported by folks just like you, and that too can be done on our website, gracelife.org. What we'll do now is read a chapter of Simply by Grace and follow that with an interview on the topic of that chapter with someone who's going to give further insights about that aspect of God's grace. So, if you're ready, we'll dive into the book. Chapter 3, Surprised by Grace Grace is so difficult for some people to accept or understand because it is something they do not expect. We expect God's justice. We know our sin deserves it. We hope for God's mercy that he would not give us what we deserve. We are surprised by his grace that he gives us blessings we do not deserve. Some time ago, I had lunch with a friend at a restaurant. And at the end of our time together, I went to the restroom. When I left the restroom, I absentmindedly went to my car without paying for my lunch. A half mile down the road, I realized this and felt terrible, so I went back. When I walked into the restaurant, I expected justice. Surely the staff had called the cops or at least gotten very angry. I hoped for mercy that they would accept my apology and let me pay them. But I was surprised by grace. They told me that my friend had secretly paid for my lunch before he left. Two criminals hung on crosses beside Jesus. The first evidenced no guilt for his crimes, but the second showed that he expected the justice he deserved when he said, We receive the due reward of our deeds. He hoped for mercy or that Jesus would show favor toward him when he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But... He was surprised by grace when Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. We are conditioned to expect justice in our graceless world. Lawbreakers are punished. Good grades and wages must be earned. We expect to get what we deserve. When we get something better than we deserve, we look at it as too good to be true. If we are ever convinced that it is true, we are surprised. Why we need God's grace. We need God's grace because we have all sinned and deserve the judgment that justice demands. Separation from God now and in eternity. The Bible makes that very clear and unarguable. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 Every person has failed to measure up to God's perfection. We all need to experience pardon from our penalty and be given God's eternal life. But our sin is so serious that we cannot pay for it by doing good or being good. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, 
No flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. In other words, doing deeds that the Old Testament law demands, or keeping any other set of rules of conduct, cannot make us acceptable to God. To be justified means to be made acceptable to God judicially, to be declared righteous before God. As the supreme judge, God has the power in his courtroom to declare anyone righteous in his sight. When the Bible says that God justifies someone, it does not mean that that person instantly becomes righteous in character and conduct. That person does, however, become instantly acceptable to God, that is, righteous in a legal sense. In other words, as a just God, God cancels the penalty for sin, which is death, and declares the sinner acceptable because that person now has Jesus Christ's acceptability or righteousness imputed or credited to him or her. The person who was dead in sin now has eternal life and begins a new relationship with God. We need grace also because God's standard is too high and our best efforts are too low. His standard is his own perfect righteousness, the core of which is represented in the Ten Commandments. You shall not have any gods other than the true God. You shall not make false images of God. You shall not take God's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath holy. Honor your parents. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet. Everyone would probably admit to breaking at least one of the Ten Commandments. Who hasn't told a lie? But when we interpret them the way that Jesus did, we see that we are even more guilty than we thought. We may have never physically murdered someone, for example, but Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Matthew 5:21 through 22 By this standard, anyone who has never physically committed murder would certainly be guilty of mental murder and unjust anger towards someone. Likewise, we may have never had an immoral sexual relationship, but Jesus interpreted adultery more broadly when he said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew 5, 27-28 Again, according to Jesus, those who might be innocent of the outward sinful act are still guilty because of the inner sinful thought. When we interpret God's standard of righteousness as not simply the physical act, but include the thought and motive, we would probably admit to breaking all ten of the commandments. His standard is unattainably high. When we understand that God's standard is too high, we will see that our best efforts are too low. First, our debt is too great. All have sinned. Sin is anything that falls short of God's perfection or breaks his commands. That crime demands justice. The just penalty for sin is death or separation from God, but that payment cannot be made by good deeds. To think it can be paid by our works underestimates the perfect holiness or otherness of God, as if his perfect infinite standard could be satisfied by our pitiful finite payments. Even that notion incurs more guilt because it insults God's character. Further, even our good deeds are tainted. That is why we read from Romans 3.12, 
there is no one who does good, no, not one. At first glance, this statement doesn't seem to reflect reality because we see people, including non-Christians, doing good deeds, helping their neighbors, giving to charities, building hospitals, working for the humane treatment of animals, and so forth. But the truth is that a good deed done in the context of rebellion is not good in God's sight. In other words, if someone rejects God's gift of his son, anything meant to earn favor with God or promote oneself is nothing but an insult. Let's imagine that a mother sends her young son to his room and tells him to stay there until his room is clean. But without cleaning the room, he sneaks out the window and washes her car. Is that a good deed? Not if we understand that it was done in a context of disobedience and rebellion. Further, our best efforts are not good enough because our idea of good isn't good enough. We often use good in a relative sense. A man or a woman is good only to the extent that he or she is better than most people we know. That person is not perfect, and someone is certainly better. But when we talk about good in relation to God, we are speaking of absolute or perfect goodness. The Bible tells about a young man who thought he was good and then called Jesus good teacher. Jesus' answer is incisive. Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is, God. Matthew 19:17. While the young man conceived of goodness in a relative way, he was better than most people. Jesus spoke of good in an absolute way, with God as the ultimate measure of goodness. And so Jesus showed us the uncrossable distance between the two understandings of good. That is why Romans 3.12 says that no one is righteous. We may do good, righteous-looking things, but we are not as good or as righteous as God. The only possible conclusion from our sinfulness is given to us in Romans 3.19-20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may be guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So we are all guilty before God and cannot open our mouths with a reasonable defense. The Old Testament law and God's moral principles inscribed on every human heart were never intended to help us earn God's righteousness. They were given to show us our sin. We can compare the law to an x-ray machine. We get an x-ray to see what the problem is inside of us, but we do not expect the x-ray to heal us of that problem. But when we know our problem, then we can seek the proper treatment. To understand the progress of thought in Romans is to understand that when we come to Romans 3.20, we are rightfully and totally condemned as sinners before God. The Apostle Paul has painted the darkest picture of our situation. We have a problem and can do nothing to save ourselves from God's justice. We cannot cure being bad by doing good. We need help from outside of ourselves. God's answer to our problem. You must appreciate the next words in Romans 3:21. But now, with these pivotal words, the Apostle Paul declares what God has done about our problem. We are not left in darkness or despair. We are not left to pay for our sins by eternal separation from God. But now, what a blessed contrast these words signify. We are not left under condemnation. God has solved our problem, but it wasn't through the Old Testament law or our efforts to do and be good. 
But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Romans 3, 21 through 22. We can have God's righteousness credited to us through faith in Jesus Christ as the one who satisfied God's justice on our behalves. He then rose from the dead to offer us his eternal life. Faith is the means by which we, we receive that eternal life when we have Christ's righteousness credited to us. The judicial declaration that we are now considered righteous before God is called justification. A gift costs someone something. How can God pardon the guilty and make them instantly acceptable to himself while maintaining his character of justice? How can justification be free when God demands that sin be punished by death? Since we could not be declared righteous by our performance, God had to do what we could not do. Consider this very important verse that follows the statement that we are sinners in Romans 3.24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This verse tells us how we who are sinners can be justified. As explained earlier, to be justified means to be declared righteous or acceptable to God. In the eyes of the law, we are no longer viewed as lawbreakers. In fact, God views us in the same way he views his own son, perfectly righteous in our standing before him. Every word in verse 24 is important. Our justification is freely by his grace. If you're observant, you might be wondering why the word freely is used because grace already means a free gift. Isn't that being redundant? Yes, it is, but repetition in the Bible usually means that something is being emphasized. God is emphasizing the absolute freeness of his grace. We can never earn his grace by being good enough or by doing enough good things or by not doing bad things. But how can our justification, that is, our eternal salvation, be given to us as a totally free gift? The same verse tells us that the gift is free to us because it has been paid for by another, Jesus Christ. The word redemption speaks of a price that has to be paid to set something free. That price was not paid by us. It was paid by Jesus Christ, God the Son. Only his sinless life could be an acceptable payment for the sins of each and every one of us so that we could be set free from sin's condemnation. Jesus did not inherit our sinfulness because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin. He then lived a perfect, sinless life. When he died on the cross, he was the perfect sacrifice that could pay the price for any sin, no matter how serious. Not only was he a perfect sacrifice, but because he was God in the flesh, he was also an eternal sacrifice that could be applied to everyone, everywhere, anytime. When he rose from the dead, he showed himself to be not only the giver of eternal life, but also life itself. Every gift costs the giver, not the recipient. The gift of grace costs somebody something. It costs God, his only son. That is how it can be totally free to us. We are saved by a life we could not live and a death we did not die. Jesus paid a debt we could never pay. Yes, our eternal salvation is a free gift to us because God paid for it with his Son. Grace surprises us, amazes us, because it is absolutely free and totally undeserved. 
It is not the justice we expect or some vague divine mercy we hope for. It is a full and complete pardon from the guilt of our sins and a new relationship to God that he has made possible. It surprises us because it is not fair. We who deserve eternal death are saved by the one who did not deserve death at all. Have you been surprised or amazed by grace? Are you now? If so, you have to come to grips with the acceptance of something that seems too good to be true. Our eternal salvation is simply by grace. Review questions. 1. How would you distinguish between God's justice, mercy, and grace? 2. Compare our common perception of good with God's standard of good. 3. Why can we not be good enough to deserve God's righteousness? 4. What does it mean to be justified and how can a person be justified? I hope you enjoyed the subject of uh, Simply by Grace, Chapter 3, Surprised by Grace, mainly talking about justification by grace through faith in Romans Chapter 3. And uh, just to add their insights, uh, today we have with us uh, two friends and guests. We have Ben Santa Maria, Pastor Ben, uh, who's pastoring in West Virginia, and uh, I'm going to have him tell us just a little bit about himself, and then we'll introduce uh, Dr. Juan Sanchez, who ministers uh, a number of different venues, but at, at Grace School of Theology, where Ben is also taking up his master's study. So we'll start with you, uh, Ben, and why don't you just tell us a little bit about your yourself, whatever you think we want to know. Sure, absolutely. Thank you, Charlie. Uh, my name is Benjamin Santa Maria. I am from Mexico City. And I've been here in the U.S. about 20 years. And, and we have a ministry, a Hispanic ministry in Winchester, Virginia. And um, so, you know, we call ourselves Baptist, uh, even though we are not associated with any Baptist uh, association. But just because that makes a distinction between our teachings and the teachings of many charismatic Pentecostal independent churches, as you want to call it, that we have in an area. So we want to stand out with a different message. And... Uh, you know, the, the ministry has been for about eight years, and, and now we are just grateful to see what the Lord has, you know, the impact that it has when, when you deliver a clear biblical message, a grace biblical message, and how that transforms the living of the believers into maturing as opposed to just living a, a religious, uh, you know, tradition or, 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 or life. Uh, they are really being transformed by the message of grace. Amen. Amen. Okay, we'll get back to that. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, Juan. Right. Uh, so, everyone, my name is Juan Sanchez. Um, I'm originally from the Dominican Republic, and um, I've been living several years here in, uh, in Florida. And uh, I have a beautiful wife and two beautiful young kids. Mm. And uh, we have a lot of passion to go to parks and have fun with all and other toddlers and all that kind of jazz. Uh, well, ministerially, I'm heavily involved with the local church in, um, in a multicultural sense, uh, Spanish, uh, English, also Portuguese, and um, 
and also other other multicultural settings and uh, technological um, opportunities. But I mean, technological is related with um, how the church is getting hybrid nowadays and all that stuff and the, impl- the ethical implications of it and all that when, when in churches. And also I participate in the ministry of Grace School of Theology, um, where I serve as a teacher and also as the dean over there with international programs. And I'm very happy to be able to serve in a free grace seminary and um, be a friend of all of you and supporting any way it could. <laughs> the message of the free grace. Okay. Amen. Yeah. Well, I know the school really appreciates you and your ministry. And uh, Ben, I should have also mentioned that Ben translates all of our grace notes on our website. And the Spanish-speaking grace notes are the most downloaded page or thing on our website. So that made me want to uh, do this part of our podcast with uh, uh, two who are from and familiar with the Spanish-speaking world. And um, I, because I think that we there's a great need for grace there. And uh, uh, the way I understand a lot of uh, Mexico and probably uh, Santa the um, Domingo also is that there's a, a lot of Roman Catholicism. Yes, it is. And which is not necessarily the Dominican Republic is what I meant to say. And uh, which is uh, not true of all Spanish speaking people, but there is a heavy emphasis on Catholicism, therefore work. So how does this, how do you explain the need for grace to the people you work with, Ben? You said you're getting a good response. I'm getting a good response, but but it is very interesting that uh, you know people are are being indoctrinated uh, from the Catholic Church, like you mentioned, uh, in different levels. And and uh, this might be a long answer, but uh, you know the older uh, generation, the one that is not migrating to the U.S., that stays in Mexico, that stays in in, in our countries, uh, they were. Uh, they learn this Catholic Church that is uh, the dogmatic Catholic Church that they don't they don't have access to Bible they don't have access to anything they they just have to believe that the mother church is going to lead them to the Father mm-hmm. and at the same time we have this new generation that now through Catholicism Catholicism they are being getting uh, exposed to the Scriptures but from a, from an apologetic point of view. Where they're they're defending their their religion through the typical uh, allegorical translation that the Catholic Church has used for years, mm. so they are not really open to listen to the grace message. Mm. And if you add on to that the great uh, explosion of uh, indigenous churches in Latin America as a result of the uh, you know, at the beginning of the of the 19th century, at the beginning of the 20th century, rather, uh, the Baptist Church did a lot of missionary uh, work in Latin America, but they but they established churches that they were not autonomous, they were not indigenous, they were just a copy of what we have in the U.S. So uh, there was a need for indigenous church, and and so there were a, a, a boom of uh, churches that were. Uh, we call it independent churches, and and that what what translating to is that we have a lot of people that with very little training and uh, with no scrutiny, they just establish churches, and and so when the migrant comes to the U.S., is bringing those roots with them, 
Mm-hmm. And so that that really creates a, a, a lot of work. And for me, really what it works is to invest time one-on-one with somebody to explain the gospel, mm-hmm. to go through it as opposed to just trying to convince them that we have the truth. We open the scripture, we show the grace of God, and we let the truth to transform them uh, because it's not about convincing them that we are right, that they're wrong, but rather that they need to understand the grace of God and, and not to be worried about, you know, working their salvation through good deeds or, you know, having this cloud of uh, you're going to lose your salvation the moment that you sin, which mm-hmm. we see in so many other churches. So uh, we have a good response, but but it takes time because because you have to invest in people to change that uh, ideology that they're bringing with them. Mm-hmm. And, and so, Juan, uh, the Spanish-speaking part of your ministry, are you finding the the same kind of issues uh, with Roman Catholicism and convincing them about grace? Well, definitely. I mean, I uh, really uh, agree with Ben of how difficult when in the culture, um, culturally, in terms of cultural anthropology, Catholicism is part of this, of the Latin American Spanish culture and Portuguese, by the way, but mostly Spanish because they, they were the pioneers and put it that way. And uh, to develop a, a concentric culture, it was needed a religion. And the Catholic Church functioned pretty well in terms of politics. Then in terms of the religiosity, it embedded pretty well because the Catholic Church did, did practices back in the medieval a, a age with um, when they were trying to expand in Europe, in other regions, uh, try to merge with the barbarians and all of that that they practice in the Americas in order to confine and create an identity. Uh, so uh, the Catholic Church, more than a religion, is an identity of every single nation that shared the Spanish con- countries. Any country that is Spanish have an identity winning Catholicism, which is made very de- hard and difficult to, and sensitive to uh, preach the gospel. So uh, I think sensitivity has to be, um, and I'll be able to hear and listen with kindness and empathy that, people's heart a priority before approaching them with with truth in their face like you know they, all of this are works and then you know you, all you're doing is false and everything we have to be sensitive with that because the culture is not quite open to to a reality which is the real gospel the message of the gospel so it, it should be a transition process of assimilation in which i agree with pastor ben where relationship actually um, it really works. So uh, I believe that progressive sanctification in this case for the preacher and the evangelist will actually pay off in terms of Christ doing justification for all mm-hmm. these people. So mm-hmm. that it that will be kind of like how I will see it. Well, it makes me think of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. He didn't necessarily cancel the, the Hebrew culture. He practiced some of the what, what he felt he could do as long as not giving the impression that he was uh, back under the law. And uh, I think the same same thing is true of probably Muslims today, too. You know, it's so integrated. The religion and culture is so integrated. So uh, when when people finally understand the message of justification through faith alone, because in Catholicism, for example, as you know, it's a process. There's you don't know if you're justified till the end. Uh, what kind of response do you see from them? They are liberated. Really, they, they feel a sense of freedom uh, when they finally understand that, uh, you know, the assurance of salvation is not something that 
that they may achieve one day once they are there, but the assurance of salvation is something that they can they can live on today. They are liberated, you know. Uh, you think about a group of migrants that are in this country, like in my context, where they are afraid sometimes of the authorities uh, that they may be sent back home. Uh, and then they go to church and they're afraid that the pastor may send them to hell. <laughs> and, and so, you know, and they, they go to work and they may don't have the documents to work under their names. So they're also afraid that, that you know, someday somebody might figure it out and they're going to lose the job. So they're living in, in this uh, fearful world. And, and when you finally said, you know what, the grace, the justification that you have, the fact that God is going to declare you just righteous before him for what Jesus Christ did without anything in exchange, just you have to believe that. Uh, they really have a sense of freedom and, and they rest. And, and that has been the big impact uh, when they finally realize what, what uh, justification by grace through faith mm -hmm. means. I, li I like that word rest because uh, so many religions emphasize works and what we do, but never offer that assurance that we've actually uh, achieved so like Juan when with the people that you work with um you know how do they I think there's two responses to works one is you can try to keep them and get frustrated or become a Pharisee or the other is you just get burned out because you know you can never be good enough uh, are you finding those kind of uh reactions to a, a works oriented religion uh, well, yeah, you know, one thing, one point that is really important to understand about Latin America is not all the Catholic Church is the same. So they have different charismas all spread in Latin America, which emphasize in works towards sanctification, almost semi-Pelagianism or something like that, that they have really embedded into the culture. So when we go there and we tell them here, it, it Christ through Christ, you get justification by faith alone, in Christ alone. That message resonates, but they said immediately, that's not enough. Uh, I need to do deeds mm -hmm. as a Franciscan of poverty. I, you know, I need to live right. in a precarious life. Or I need to, like, like uh, there is a group called the Mercedarios, which is the prison ministry within the Catholic Church. Uh, there are the Augustinian monks. There you, there you go, mm -hmm. really close to there. The, the Calvinists, which is a different topic, how the uh, Protestant reform have been seen in the last 200 years in Latin America, you know, because that's another group that actually practice also a form of works mm -hmm. different than the Catholics and how we can come across and present this message that is so transcendental, but it's actually the true message of the gospel. Anytime, and I told you by my own experience, when I speak, I was in a funeral, at actually a funeral of my dad it was very sensitive two years ago. And I have the opportunity to share the gospel with my sister. And that was like, I came from the moon or something like that. How mm. that could even possible, how that could be even so simple. Because mm. when in the Catholic confinement, even if you're dead, you're still living based on works. You have to uh, prepare a mass. You have to really, uh, even if you I mean, dead, you have to do a lot of uh, liturgical process and things that never end. I mean, your relatives and your kids have to continue going and doing all this stuff. It's, uh, it never ends. And then they hear this hope in the middle of a dead. And even the priest was there and he was listening to that. And it was not that ecumenical. Uh, mm -hmm. When I, uh, when I 
spoke about the freedom of Christ in from my dad's coffin, uh, that that really, you know, although I knew that he did not, I mean, he did not believe in Christ, I know that resonated in others enough for me to be a, to be a witness for mm-hmm. my own sake. Let me put it that way, mm-hmm. <laughs> knowing the truth, to be able to share it in the middle of such a sensitive situation. And Ben could relate with that. that that's something that you don't do in the funeral of your own family mm-hmm. when they're all Catholic, especially a grandma is not going to feel happy about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but it, it, it really, um, it, it is very impactful to see the freedom when the gospel is preached in front of people that have a bondage uh, based on work. Yeah. Well, how do you and find you, the? Re- yeah, go ahead, Dan. Uh, I just wanted to add to that that uh, that is one of the major pushbacks that you get. You know, uh, so now I don't have to do anything, and and that's one of the the, the tricky points that they will turn it back and say, no, 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 no. I have to continue doing good works. Mm. So loneliness, you know, that's that's immediately what it comes to point. So we we need to be like Paul, maybe. Uh, we preach the gospel of grace, but then then we say, but that doesn't mean that you have license to sin. Mm-hmm. You still need to behave. You still need to please God and so on and so forth. And that calms them down a little bit to be open to receive the message. Yeah, well, that was kind of my next question is, you know, do you get apathy? Do you get pushback? Do you get argument? Uh, I guess if they're practicing Roman Catholics, they're religiously oriented enough perhaps to listen, but not necessarily well, they, disagree. Yeah. Charlie, they're culturally oriented into Catholicism because it's a religion embedded into the culture. So they practice um, the religion just like Jewish will practice Judaism in, over there in Israel. If they're not super embedded into one of the sects that they're just Jews, but they're not embedded into one group. So it, it, it's, a, it's a form of a, indoctrination, cultural indoctrination, mm-hmm. more than a religion. That, so that's when they become Christian. There is a major transformation in the household. Um, everything changed so dramatically. You actually can see in the family, um, in a funeral, you actually see when when the group, when some of the members of the family are believers in Christ, they behave and act different than the ones that are Catholic. Immediately, there's like a split, cultural split, because the gospel has such a power, especially when it's a gospel of grace. Now, it's true, people listen to it and they still believe and struggle with the understanding of, you know, I can't believe that can be that that can be that simple. But, you know, they, the same issue that humans are unable to save themselves is really the reality that confront them in an existential sense, they start thinking, you know what? It is really impossible for me to save myself. Nobody can save me, only God. And mm-hmm. then with the right approach of positive apologetics, um, a very deep work, you know, relational communion with friends and everything, you can, we can help them, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to restore that life to under, fully understand what it means to be fully saved, to have that assurance of salvation. So, what they do have a you know mean meaning uh, for God's uh, you know uh, glory. Mm-hmm. So that's that would be my. Okay, appreciate that. I I was uh, wondering if you could each share a little bit about how uh, this message of the salvation by grace alone through faith alone 
has impacted your own life and then your ministry as well? Because I don't know if there was a certain point of conversion for you to that message, and maybe you were a Christian before. Well, you tell us, uh, how's it, how's that message become uh, central to your life and ministry? Ben? Right. Well, Pardon? yes, uh, I, uh, I grew up in, uh, in Mexico City. I was probably at church before it was, I was born. <laughs> I've, I've been, I was born in a Christian home and I've been at church all my life. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I got good uh, instructions or, or, or good uh, teachings. Uh, so the church that I grew up, uh, I remember from a period of time, I don't know, from between I was seven years old and until I was probably 12. I probably went up to the altar to receive Christ every Sunday because they will preach it every Sunday and, and I will go and nobody will tell me, hey, you're already saved. You know, nobody will say anything or give me any follow up. I mean, they were just happy with me going up front. So for me, it was a long journey of self-teaching, uh, reading here, reading there, and uh, you know, getting getting a hold of uh, books uh, that would help me one way or the other because you get all kind of influences. But but when I finally read and, and start understanding, you know, how to uh, read the scriptures, what the scripture says actually, as opposed to what whomever is saying, uh, that opens that opens the, the the light. You know, you can see through the scripture, the clear message of God that is through grace. And then in, in the ministry, when you start uh, having a non-judgmental message, all what you do is to deliver what God says for them. And that opened the door for everybody's welcome. Nobody's judged. We just believe what the Bible says, and then we encourage each other to mature and to imprint Christ in, in others. And, and that has been the transformation for our ministry. Uh, present a gospel that doesn't point fingers to anybody, but rather glorifies Christ through what he did and what he's doing with us every day. And, and that really has been the transformation for us. Well, that, that sounds like a church anybody would like to go to, Ben. So. Hey, you're welcome. <laughs> tell, tell, us the, tell us the city that your church is in, your town there in West Virginia, just in case anybody listening is nearby. I know. I, I live in West Virginia, but our church is in Winchester, Virginia, oh. in the city of Winchester, 1819 South Loudoun Street in Winchester, Virginia. Right. Okay. Uh, when you moved to West Virginia, I assumed that you were ministering there, too. Um, so, well, one, you know, I if, if I may, you know, we are praying to open another mission there. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we have, we have, I, I remember you telling me, yeah, that's why I was thinking that. Yes. We have like a four families that are making their, their ways, uh, you know, they're traveling all the way from Charlestown to West, uh, Winchester, mm -hmm. which is about an hour drive, mm -hmm. uh, four or five families. So we are uh, probably tomorrow. We're going to start the first Bible story in, in Charlestown. Oh, praise the Lord. Yes. The Lord. Well, I've spoken at your church there in Winchester, Virginia, and, uh, I'll look forward to visiting you someday in your your church. Yes. So I is it you're speaking in Spanish, you're preaching in Spanish. Yes, all the time. Yeah. Well, I'll all understand the, time. the words. <laughs> <laughs> well, Juan, what uh was there a turning point in in you seeing or the message and putting it into action? Or, uh, tell us a little bit about your story in ministry. Well, you know, I uh, grew up in a Roman Catholic background. 
uh, a very interesting background. My dad was an atheist, and I, actually he had like a major uh, socialist, communist uh, mm. background from the 70s. So that was quite popular back in the day, mm. I think. And uh, so I grew up in that environment. My mom was uh, super Catholic, very, which she is still alive, very sweet, very nice and everything. So I have this duality of... Uh, uh, back and forth, my dad telling me, you know, don't go to the church. It's a waste of time. And then my mom telling me, go, go to the Catholic So I, I was fully embedded into the Catholic church in all the different um, uh, ways to understand our religion system and what they are all about until I was 12, uh, 13 years old. When as a, many teenagers, we get what they call outcasts from churches and anything like that. And then it was at, at, until a moment that I went to a, an evangelist that, um, that that I um, became a believer, but actually the source of salvation um, that we're talking about here came to my life one day when I was hearing um, that I, uh, I have to say that Dr. Anderson, you know, play an important role in that. I was hearing a message about the source of salvation um, that he was teaching, and um, it was the first time, guys, that I. I felt such a relief in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how to explain it, <laughs> but it is like, oh, so I don't have to, to be concerned about all the stuff, you know, he says, because Christ already did the, that work in my life for me, and I'm already justifying him. And that was such a powerful moment that, and this is my desire. I really want everybody to, to, to experience something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that 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 a um, that content is not just an abstract or a philosophical or you know some form of a presupposition that's in my mind. It, it is real. Immediately, uh, we change. I, I I stop doing things for the wrong reasons. I stop being a hypocrite because it, it, I'm not going to save myself by doing things or try to push my whole entire family and everybody to do things because we're going to acquire some certification of being holier than anybody else. I realized my status where I was in front of God as a sinner and I recognized uh, the work that Christ did. And that sensation, that, that feeling of, you know, I just give up Christ. This is all yours. It helped me from there to be better for you. Always acknowledging what you did for me. But, and and so from there on, so it's been fantastic in my life mm-hmm. and my wife too, because my wife, um, I didn't mention that at the beginning, I have a multicultural marriage. So that is also by his own, a very interesting thing when you have a wife that comes from a, 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 her dad is a pastor and I'm here an Anglo pastor for many years and over there in Florida. And, and I've come from this, you know, kind of Pentecostally, um, Catholic, all that, all super lordship uh, background. And, and then I was over there. And then we now uh, see my wife also understanding that it's not just me. It's not just something that I got myself that I came up with. But she um, later starts seeing it herself by reading the scriptures mm. and have that unison statement is really good because then your kids get also, 
uh, whether they're homeschool, whether they go to, to a school, whatever school you have, um, a, um, an understanding of grace that not only help our heart and life, but also it creates a grace environment in our home and everywhere we go. And that's beautiful. That's how I can describe the amen. whole process. Sorry to be so extended. No, no, no. Amen. Just looking at your face and hearing your voice and describing your realization about grace makes me think that you were surprised by grace. <laughs> no pun intended. Amen. No, amen. No pun intended. But that's actually my favorite sermon to preach is surprised by grace from Romans chapter three. And uh, y'all are living testimonies of that, and uh, and Amen. you're living that out in in ministry and sharing that with others. With others, and uh, I know through your ministries and uh, through many other ministries, uh, including mine, that you you're doing the translation for. Um, that word is getting out to a lot of people. Uh, is there any resources that that you all want to make your listeners of um, know about, uh, whether in English or Spanish? Well, you know, Charlie, that's that's a good point. Uh, I, I would have to say that sadly in Spanish, we have a, a poor uh, number of resources, a very little number of resources uh, that are grace-oriented mm -hmm. and that at the same time are either, uh, well, well-translated into Spanish. We really don't have many writers in Spanish that write about grace. So pretty much all the, all the work is translated into Spanish, as far as I know. And, uh, and uh, some, of, some of that work has been done poorly. Uh, and, and in some instances, it's hard to understand. And, and so in, in those terms, it's difficult to, to really relate to, to resources. Uh, so, so really what I do, instead of asking people, you know, go and read this book or, or listen to this. Like I said, I invest time with them and I sit with them and I explain them because of those issues that we find here and there that are, that are you know, they might get confused instead of getting some help. Okay. We know you helped with the, I think, proofread the translation of Simply by Grace or Simplemente por Gracia. And uh, mm -hmm. brought, I brought a case of those to Peru and was distributed among the pastors there. And there's a a mini reformation towards free grace going on down there. So that was uh, good to hear uh, from my friend in Peru. Uh, Juan, uh, do, you, do you have any resources uh, uh, you could recommend in Spanish or anything from your own ministry? I just want people to be aware of. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, resources, free grace resources are a, just like Pastor Ben mentioned, very, uh, is cars. They're not, there's not, there's not, not a lot of resources available. However, I do strongly recommend, um, the resources, I mean, from, from your ministry are really good. Like this book, Gracias, Salvación y Discipulado is an excellent book. We actually using it at the seminary level to teach, um, pastors and leaders, uh, the different levels, graduate and undergraduate, to understand those difficult passages. So that's been one of the, I believe, and now because you're here, <laughs> not for the intended, one of the greatest resources available in Spanish to date in terms of the comparison of the passages. Um, as well, uh, obviously, um, uh, it, 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 I, although we currently don't have a lot, a lot of theology developed 
from the three grade standpoint of view from Latin America, it is my hope that eventually the younger generations will will take the torch and assume and, and from the, you know with the from the battleground where they are. Um, they're going to stand up and, and preach the gospel with a, the contributions you had done, uh, Dr. Freche, Dr. Anderson. Uh, all these resources to this point will pay off. All the work you're doing uh, will definitely then will be taken by others and they will actually transform nations, uh, theologically, biblically, maybe in the church or any, any setup. And um, so I'm a strong believer of that. We, we're raising up at least a great school of theology. Now, a, a, a new generation of uh, mm. people are coming up and studying and everything, the Bible. And um, I'm saying that because I invested my life on that, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and and that's that's my hope that, that eventually Latin America and here in the United States, too, in Spanish and Portuguese, we can start seeing some of these changes uh, because they're very, very, very needed. And um, I'm just quoting Fred Che, he said, you know, a couple couple months ago, he told me, Juan, you know, all all of us, all the old folk are really waiting to see the, you know, all the younger, all the all you guys to really go and, and do all of this. All these resources are available for you guys to to start actioning and all that. And it's a call for action. And I take it hardly. I know Pastor Ben as well is doing it. And um, and eventually, my my hope is that that we can see the free grace message uh, uh, proclaimed in the middle of a world of a lot of calamity and chaos, like oh, like Latin America. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, you know what? It's it's nice to see the book being used. Uh, you know, I translated that book. Yeah, I translated that book. Yeah, you did the main translation. Ben did yeah. the main translation. Yeah. I'm sorry I didn't give you credit for that there. That's uh, <laughs> But see, you guys uh, in your own way are, are reaching a lot of people I could never reach. And uh, and, and as far as Fred, Shay, and I, you guys are the younger generation. But I know you want to keep putting it into the hands of uh, the, the next generation. And I appreciate all that you're doing. And I want to walk through those doors with you as God opens them. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll see what the future holds. I appreciate you all joining us tonight for this chat and uh, hope it gets some people excited and maybe even surprises a few people. But uh, grace is just almost too good to be true. And that's what I think keeps people from believing that God would save them in spite of their sins and that uh it's an absolutely free gift. There's no way to earn it or deserve it. Uh, that's why I love the term surprised by grace. We're always surprised by grace in this graceless world where we live. I would like to close the podcast uh, with just you each saying a, a word in Spanish to those who might be listening in, whatever is on your heart. And then uh, I'll, I'll take it back and close. How about that? How about you, Juan? There we go. La gracia en pocas palabras es un regalo. ¿Quién no quiere recibir un regalo? El problema es que la gracia es un regalo que todos necesitamos para que podamos ser declarados justos ante Dios. Pero para recibirlo usted debe reconocer que ha pecado, que no está bien delante de Dios, que este, la gracia, es el único regalo, la única solución a su problema pecaminoso y aún más específico, el hecho de que su problema pecaminoso es lo que lo mantiene separado de Dios, por eso necesita la gracia. Entonces, ¿qué es la gracia? La gracia es el regalo de Dios por el cual 
mediante la fe en lo que Cristo hizo, podemos ser declarados justos ante Dios, ser justificado y reconciliado con Dios, como dice la palabra, justificados por fe, tenemos paz con Dios a través de Cristo. No se trata de lo que usted puede hacer para ser salvo, ni se trata de lo que ya hizo para ser salvo, se trata de lo malo que está en usted, de lo, que, de lo malo que usted ha hecho, que necesita la gracia para resolver ese problema. La gracia no se trata de lo que pueda hacer entonces, sino de lo que Cristo ya hizo por usted. Ese es el regalo de la gracia. Gracias. ¿Y Juan? Amén. Amén. El deseo de corazón y lo que puedo compartir con cada persona que escucha este, estas palabras es ir a sus Biblias, Efesios 2, 5 al 6. Um, y leer exactamente y entender lo que dice la palabra sobre eh, lo que la obra de Jesucristo en, en Efesios 2.8 cuando dice por su gracia soy salvo por medio de la fe y esto no es de vosotros pues es don de Dios no por obras para que nadie se gloríe no es una salvación por obras tampoco es una salvación basada en la fe pero es por la gracia de Dios Dios nos ha dado su gracia para que todo aquel que cree en su Hijo unigénito no se pierda, mas tenga vida eterna. Y de ahí en adelante, ser justificados. Nuestra salvación no es un proceso de santificación progresiva. Eh, inicia con una justificación que Dios nos ha dado. Y no es un proceso regenerativo inicial hecho por el Espíritu Santo. Más bien es un proceso dado por gracia para que creamos en Dios, para poder crecer en Él, confiando en las promesas que nos ha dado Jesucristo, que es la vida eterna. Pero más allá, a entender de que no depende de nuestras obras y que nuestras obras son futiles e innecesarias, son absurdas totalmente en el sentido salvífico. Más bien, después de ser salvos, entendiendo la justificación y por la seguridad de la salvación, esa seguridad de salvación nos da las fuerzas necesarias para continuar adelante en una vida muy difícil y complicada, pero segura en medio de la aflicción, porque solo Cristo es el varón de dolores, pero al mismo tiempo es Dios salvador y nos llama a todos nosotros a seguirle, pero la salvación no depende de eso, sino más bien de su amor y por su amor continuamos adelante todos los días hasta el final. Amén. Amén, I understand. And I know God gave you the right words to say, so I don't need to understand them. I want to thank you, Ben Santa Maria, there in your ministry in Virginia and your home in West Virginia. Greetings to your family. And uh, Juan, uh, your home is there in Florida and your home base. And you're doing a wonderful ministry as well. Greetings to your family. Thank you both for taking this time to be with us. I know that the listeners will really appreciate that. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Charlie. Yeah, thank well, you. God, God bless you both. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace@gracelife.org. See you next time.